Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. Father, with all of that out of the way now, I kind of check that box in my mind. Uh, I pray that all of us here would be able to shift gears as we look to your word. Uh, these are such important things uh, that um, I think you want to outlay for us. And so help us, God, to hear from you and understand what you desire for us. Um, God, some of us come today and, man, we desperately need to hear uh, some things that are, that are just right here in the text. And some of us come today and we need to kind of storehouse this, uh, this word that you're going to speak to us um, until it's time to apply it. But however we come today, we all, every one of us want to hear from you. Uh, you alone have the words of eternal life. So set them on display for us. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts that are open to you. Holy Spirit, be the teacher that um, leads us into the truth and bring clarity and power to bear on us because we don't want to be the same. Transform us. And we ask that in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen and amen. Okay, so uh, we got a couple of chapters to cover today. So there's going to be some reading. And I'll tell you, I, I struggle with how to frame this sermon up. This is just a personal thing. I've really struggled with how to frame this thing up because I think God wants to challenge us in some ways. Uh, but how we were going to put this together was really a struggle this week. Um, but I, so what we're going to do uh, is, is kind of we'll walk through the text together and then we'll just make some application uh, from the text. Okay, so we'll kind of do a big heavy block there and then we'll take some uh, thoughts out of it. If you don't have a Bible, uh, you can borrow one back there. And if you're a user of the Bible app, feel free just to jump on and, and track along here. So Acts chapter 23. Um, very briefly, just in case you haven't caught up with us here, uh, Paul is back in Jerusalem. He's carried uh, this offering back to Jerusalem. Uh, he's been arrested. Well, he caused a riot in the temple, uh, and then he spoke to the uh, spoke to the crowd that was going to beat him up. After he got rescued by the Roman soldiers, he spoke to the crowd and he said, "And God sent me away to the Gentiles." And at that point. They lost it again. I mean, throwing dust up in the air and crazy stuff was happening. And the centurion and the Romans kind of jerk him back out of that melee there. And uh, they're going, man, we're, we don't know what to do with you. So they, they get ready to strap him up and, and are going to whip him until he tells the truth about who he is. That's kind of where we pick up the story. Um, and so uh, verse 30, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, verse 30, but on the, uh, of chapter 22, and we'll just kind of catch the t- context here. But on the next day, desiring to know the real reason why he was being accused by the Jews, the centurion, he unbound Paul and commanded the chief priests and all the council to meet. And he brought Paul down and set him before them. And looking intently at the council, Paul said, brothers, I've lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Now, this is illegal. This is, this is not right under Jewish law. You can't strike somebody who hasn't been found guilty, and here they are just starting the trial. Therefore, we, we got a problem here. Verse 3, Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wool. Isn't that beautiful? If you want to just put an insult in your pocket and bring that out this week, you let me know how that goes, okay? Just like, oh, yeah? Well, you're a whitewashed wall. Just let me know how that works out for you. Uh, are, are you sitting to judge me according to the law? And yet contrary to, uh, to the law, you order me to be struck. That's what Paul was calling him out. Those who stood by said, would you revile God's high priest? 
And look how Paul responds. Paul said, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest, for it's written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. So Paul's submitting himself to the law, verse 6. Now, when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. It's with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. And when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So you get in Paul's mind, excuse me, can you picture in your mind what's going on? He's before this council and there's kind of Republicans and Democrats or however you want to break it up in your mind, right? There's two different kinds here. And Paul goes, I'm with you guys. You know that, right? That's kind of how this is going. Um, Verse 7, and when uh, they said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, uh, and the assembly was divided. Why? Because the, Fer- excuse me, the Sadducees say there is no resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit, uh, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. And so what happens next is, I'll just tell this so we can move through some verses. What happens next is this big, this big uh, clamor, it says, uh, another riot kind of breaks out. The Romans come back in, rescue Paul one more time. They stick him in jail until they figure out what to do with him. Um, in the middle of chapter 23, in fact, uh, right before verse 12, it, in my Bible, it says a plot to kill Paul. So basically, uh, the, the, the Jewish council uh, had some people and they're like, hey, you know what? We're not going to eat or drink anything until Paul is dead. So just to be clear, like, you're not going to eat or drink until you break one of the Ten Commandments. Like, that's a weird thing to, anybody with me on that? Like, I'm going to make sure that he dies in contrast to the law. Anyway, that strange thing there. Uh, Paul's nephew hears about it, tells Paul. Paul tells the guards. The guards tell uh, the, the governor, and then the governor sends him off by night. Um, and, and, and is moved down to, uh, excuse me, he, he is moving down to Caesarea. So he's moving him kind of uh, away from Jerusalem and all the chaos that happens there to a different place where they can guard him uh, more clearly, uh, more carefully. And, and with, so that, that's kind of where we are, okay? That's the rest of chapter 23. Everybody got this? We had one riot, chapter 22, uh, Paul's rescued. Um, he speaks to the council and guess what happens? A riot, that's exactly right. He's rescued. Uh, they, they plan to kill him. He's sent off to Caesarea. Uh, and and that's, that's basically the rest of chapter 23. Chapter 24. So after five days, the high priest Ananias came down with some elders and a spokesman, uh, one Tertullus. They laid before the governor uh, their case against Paul. Listen to their case. When he had been summoned, Tertullus began to accuse him, saying this. Since through you we <clears throat> enjoy much peace, and since by your foresight, most excellent Felix, Felix is the governor, uh, reforms are being made for this nation. In every way and everywhere, we accept this with all gratitude. What is Tertullus doing? He is buttering that dude up, right? He's, I mean, it is going on thick, too. Oh, it's so great to have you as our governor. But to detain you, verse 4, but to, ta- to detain you no further, I beg you in your kindness to hear us briefly. <laughs> so funny to me. Uh, for we have found this man a plague. Isn't that great? We found this man a plague. Uh, one who stirs up riots among all Jews throughout the world. So who had been stirring up the riots? Just so we're clear. It wasn't Paul. Paul was just going on about his business. But there were riots that followed. He stirs up riots uh, among the Jews all throughout the world as a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He's a Jesus person. Uh, He even tried to profane the temple, but we seized him. 
By examining him yourself, you'll be able to find out about him, everything of which we accuse him. And the Jews also joined in this charge, affirming that all these things were so. Well, then the governor nodded to Paul, and Paul replied, Knowing that for many years you've been a judge over this nation, I cheerfully make my defense. You can verify that it is not more than 12 days since I went up to worship in Jerusalem. They did not find me disputing with anyone or stirring up a crowd, either in the temple or in the synagogues or in the city. Paul is saying, that guy is a what? He's a liar. That's exactly what he's saying. Verse 13, neither can they prove to you what they now bring against me. But this I confess to you, that according to the way, which they call a sect, and remember the way from last week, the way is, is uh, uh, one of the early um, uh, terms for Christianity. Uh, which they call a sect. I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets, having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. So I always take pains to have a clear conscience towards God. Now skip down uh, to verse um, 22, excuse me. Paul goes on to talk more about this. Verse 22, but Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, put them off saying, when Lysias, the tribune comes down, um, I will decide your case. Then he gave orders to the centurion that he should be kept in custody, but have some liberty and that none of his friends should be prevented from attending to his deeds. And after some days, Felix, with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, sent for Paul. They heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And he reasoned about righteousness and self-control in the coming judgment. Felix was alarmed and said, go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. <laughs> like the, he wanted the truth or wanted to hear about Paul, but he only wanted it on his terms and on his timetable. And at the same time, he hoped that money would be given to him by Paul so to bribe him. Uh, so he sent for him off and, and conversed with him. So that's, that's, everybody got the thing, right? We got riot, rescue, riot, rescue, and then sent off. And, and then Paul gets to testify before uh, these different groups of people. So that's kind of the story here. And today I want to talk about exercising my rights because we see Paul do this a couple of times. And um, I, I want to just, but I want to put that in a framework um, that, I, that I think will challenge us. I think this is what God wants for us when we talk about exercising my rights. Here, here's the first thing that we can think about when it comes to exercising my rights. We can exercise my right. I can exercise my right to follow Jesus into suffering. That's not where you thought it was going, is it? Exercise my right to follow Jesus into suffering. If you remember back from the book of Acts, all along is Paul in chapter 18, chapter 19, chapter 20, chapter 21. All along as he's approaching Jerusalem. What is everybody saying to him? Dude, Paul, do not go there. Like, when you go there, those Jews, they're going to they're gonna get you. They, like, they're going to they're bind you up. Even uh, a prophet shows up and is like, here's a belt. And his, uh, the man who owns it, his, his hands are going to be bound and his feet are going to be bound just like this. All along the way, people in the Holy Spirit are saying to Paul, Paul, when you go to Jerusalem, trials, tribulations, problems, issues, arrest, persecution, all sorts of bad things await you there. Right? All along, Paul is, is hearing this, hearing this, hearing this. And yet he continues to push forward. He continues to follow Jesus into suffering. He's exercising his right, if you will, uh, to, fo to follow Jesus into suffering. It's really, um, I think, interesting um, when you read Luke chapter 22 and 23, Luke 22 and 23, and then Acts 22, 23. 
Why? Because the, the, the message of, of the um, trial of Jesus and the message of the trial of Paul, it, it's like Luke is telling the same story over and over again. You've got um, an arrest, right? You've got a trial before Jews. You've got a trial before Romans and ultimately an injustice that's perpetrated. Had Paul done anything wrong? No. But what did Felix and the others do? They just kept him in jail. Had Jesus done anything wrong? No. But Pilate sent him off to be crucified. It's like Luke is saying, hey, remember, this happened to Jesus, and it may very well happen to you. This happened to Jesus, and here's Paul going through it also. It may very well happen to you. It's, we exercise our right to follow Jesus into suffering. Uh, Jesus actually picked this up. This is John 15, verse 20. Jesus taught this to his disciples before he was betrayed and, and crucified. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, what's going to happen? They will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours. So wh- what's the idea here? When we follow Jesus, there will be times when Following Jesus means we are led into suffering. That's just, that's the reality of the world that we live in. Why? Three reasons. We've talked about these before. Let me just highlight them again. Number one, we live in a broken world. Everybody with me on that? You will suffer at some point because you live in a broken world. And that is broadly true of everybody who lives on the planet. All 7 billion of us will experience the brokenness in some way and we will suffer as a result of it. But secondly, that's not unique to Christians. But secondly, because we are Christians, we also look around at the brokenness and we say, hey, listen, Jesus has called us to be a part of bringing wholeness to where brokenness is. I'm going to enter into that person's brokenness and try to bring healing and wholeness there. Now, has anybody ever stepped into somebody else's brokenness and and, um, experienced the heaviness and the weightiness and the the, the grit and all the, the... stuff there. Has anybody ever had that happen before? You step in to somebody else's brokenness and what? You yourself experience suffering. You take on their suffering. You suffer because you stepped in. Any number of things. We live in a broken world and we enter into on purpose other people's brokenness in order to show mercy. And thirdly, thirdly, this is, and this is really what Jesus is pointing at in John 15, what's happening here with Paul. Thirdly, because, because uh, we are Christians, because we name his name, we will also experience suffering. So spiritually speaking, you, for some reason, have put on a Yankees jersey and you go up to Minute Maid, right? Like, any persecution that you get is well-deserved, right? Because you are, you are on the wrong team, so to speak. Or pick your favorite, right? But, but, but the, you get the idea, right? We have put on the jersey that says, I am a follower of Jesus. And the world, in all of its brokenness, and all of its calamity, and all of the craziness that it is, looks at that and goes, hey, you're not on our team. This is what Jesus is saying. A servant is not above his master. If they persecuted me, guess what? They will persecute you too. You're wearing my jersey. You can expect some of the same things to happen to me, to you as happened to me. That's what Jesus says. So uh, we exercise our right to follow Jesus into suffering. That's what happened here with Paul. That's what happens, can happen with us. Secondly, Um, kind of application point. Uh, We exercise, I exercise my right to work for the unity of the church. So 
this is, this is a little bit bigger picture, but I, I mean, you're smart people. You can track along. Why was Paul so dang intent on going back to Jerusalem? He had collected all of this money from all of these Gentile churches, the church in Corinth and the church in Thessalonica and the church uh, in Ephesus and all of these. Other, he had taken, there was a, a, uh, a natural disaster, a famine there and a problem there in the, um, in the Middle East, there in Jerusalem. And Paul had done collection among all of these others that weren't experiencing that. And he was taking that back over. Now, can you, can you imagine other churches rallying to the cause and to the aid of uh, of churches that have experienced a natural disaster. Is this ringing anybody's bell? A couple years ago, had a little hurricane blow through, right? A little flooding action. And what, what did we, what did we as a church experience? We experienced churches from other places stepping into our brokenness, sending and saying, hey, we see that this natural disaster is happening. So um, we, we, we understand Hurricane Harvey hit and, and we want to be a part of, of sending relief. So this is what Paul is after, right? Except like, unlike in our situation, you, don't, you can't drop it in the mail or, you know, just wire transfer it or put it on a credit card or whatever. That would have been awesome. How did they have to transport money back in the day? They had to put it in a big box and then do what? Lug that junk around, right? Like you got to put it on a wagon and then hold it up on a ship and make sure it gets there, get it off the ship and into the place. And then you got to do the thing. I mean, you can't just move money from here to there. They had to do it. And so what was Paul, why was Paul so intent on making sure that that offering got back? Because he wanted to say all of these Gentile churches, all of these people out here who are in the rest of the Roman empire care deeply about what's going on if you will, at the mothership, at the, at the original church there in Jerusalem, they see this natural disaster happening and they are, are, are giving in order to see this. And I, Paul, I want to see this move forward. I want to make sure that this is done. I want to make sure that this happens. He is willing to work and to suffer for the unity of the church. And this isn't the first time that this has happened. Acts chapter 15, they had a big uh, church meeting about how the Jews and the Gentiles in the church are going to interact. Um, one time Paul is up in Antioch and some Jews come up and Peter kind of backs off uh, from the Gentiles. And Paul looks at Peter and goes, hey man, no, no, no. You can't act like a hypocrite here. You can't, you can't do that. You're not in, acting in step with the gospel. He writes an entire letter, the book of Romans, um, about uh, how Jews and Gentiles interact there in the Roman church. Because in Rome, the Jews had been kicked out for a while, and then they were coming back. And so now you got to figure out how to interact with one another. I mean, he's fought and fought and fought and fought for the unity of the church. And he has suffered for the unity of the church. And here, he wants to work for the unity of the church. And so the question is, for you and for me, this is where it comes down. Like, oh, that'd be awesome for Paul. But what about, why is this so critical? Why is it so important that, that um, they work for the unity of the church? And there's two reasons. Number one, th this is really critical to the witness of the church. Unity in the church is really critical for the witness of the church. See, the, the, the culture can find division anywhere. Is that true? Can you think about anywhere in our culture where people are divided? Any, any place at all? Any, anything? I'm just making sure. To work for the unity of the church, though, is critical to the witness of the church. And um, in, in John chapter 17, 
Uh, Paul says that, excuse me, uh, Jesus is praying and he says this, that they may all be one. That's you and me, that we may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. And then I put this in italics, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Do you see that? There is a unity factor that is directly tied to the witness of the church. God, I want, Jesus is praying, Father, I want them to be one just like you and I are one. And when that happens, when that unity happens, the world will have a sense. They, 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 it is a witness in and of itself so that they believe that you've sent me. Two verses later, he repeats this prayer. I and them, you and me, that they may become perfectly one. And then here we go again in italics. So that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. Why is it critical to work for the unity of the church? Why? Because it is critical for the witness of the church. It's, it's why for us, we talk about church as family. And, and family on occasion has disputes and fights, right? I mean, that happens. But, but we say, hey, we're family. We're in this together. And we want that unity to have a sense of witness um, to the world. But that's not all. To, to, not only is it important because it's, it's critical to the witness of the church, but secondly, it's also contained in the work of Jesus. Um, this unity is contained in the work of Jesus. Jesus came and he lived perfectly and he died sacrificially and he rose victoriously. And in that work, in that life is contained this sense of unity. This is from Ephesians chapter 2. Paul is writing this. He says, for he, Jesus himself, is our peace. He is our peace, who has made us both, Jew and Gentile, both one, and has broke down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. Now, that's a mouthful right there. Just try to help here. Uh, Jesus, when he died, he took the things that divided us, the law that separated Jew from Gentile, the law that separated humans from God. He took those things and he broke them down. It says in his flesh. He did that in his flesh. And then in the middle there, that he might create in himself, don't miss this, one new man in place of the two. So no longer Jew and Gentile, what do you have? A new man, a new kind of person, a new thing that we would call a a Christian. Make the two into one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. The reason um, it is critical is not only because of the witness of the church, but this is contained in the work of Jesus. And so to, to be apathetic toward unity is to be apathetic toward what God has done in Christ. You hear that? If, if part of what Jesus accomplished on the cross was, was leveling the ground and putting everything kind of on, on the same uh, uh, playing field so that you and I have to relate to God, no one of us is better than the other as we relate to God, to destroy unity through my apathy or through my anger, my outward actions, um, is to deny the power of the gospel that makes us, all of us, into one new man. Our, our culture would, would love to continue to divide, right? Racially, economically, socially, howeverly, just pick your favorite adverb. He would love to continue to divide. Why? Because there's money to be made when you stir up people's anger on division. 
And what does the gospel do? The gospel comes around and says, hey, look, we're all messed up. The one thing that we have in common is there's brokenness over here in this section, and there's brokenness over here in that section, and there's brokenness in that section, brokenness in that section. Every one of us is in need of a kind of rescue that only Jesus provides. So there we are unified around the good news of what Jesus has done for us. So I then exercise my right to work for the unity of the church because it's a witness to the world and it's at the heart of the gospel. It's one of the things that Jesus accomplished through his death. I exercise my right to follow Jesus, sin and suffering. I exercise my right to work for the unity of the church. Just two more. I exercise my right to live in an unjust world. Have you noticed that the world doesn't work like it's always supposed to? Um, What then is my response? Like Paul here, I need to see it. I need to see that the world is unjust. And secondly, then I need to stand up to it. This is what Paul has done. He is standing up to these powers. He is standing up to go, hey, no, 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 no. This isn't right. And when I see it and when I stand up to it, then I need to speak out against it. And he does. Um, At the begin, excuse me, at the very end of chapter 22, they stretch him out and are about to whip him. And he goes, hey man, is it lawful to uh, examine somebody by the whips who's a Roman citizen? And the guy, the text literally says he backed up. Why? Because if he had done that illegally, guess what would have happened to him? He would have gotten the exact same punishment. You can't inflict upon a Roman citizen this punishment by whips who's, who's uh, not proven guilty. And so that would have happened to the centurion himself. So he backs up. He's like, wait, 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 wait. We got to figure this out. He speaks to um, the Jewish uh, leaders even so much to submit himself to the high priest who had him struck uh, um, unlawfully there. He speaks to the governor over and over again. He looks and says, I'm living in this unjust world. I see it. I am standing up to it. I'm not going to let this just happen and I'm going to speak out against it. And then lastly, you have to suffer well underneath it, right? You have to suffer well under this because it is its own testament. This is what Paul does over and over and over again through these chapters. He is saying, I, I understand that this is unjust, but Um, I I am going to continue to be faithful and and, uh, bear witness to what God has done uh, in me. Paul asserts his individual rights, but does so um, uh, with a view to the common good. That's what he wants. He wants this to become good. Now, I say that because um, in our unjust, very broken world, I think here is our temptation. I've been, we've, as a staff, I've been reading a book about this, and I've been thinking about this a lot. I think here's our temptation. Our temptation is to say, in, in some manner or some way, let's get the culture right, and then we will see the kingdom of God come in America again. As we ramp up to 2020 political election, all the craziness that is our world, Right? I think the temptation is going to be, let's make the culture right, and then we'll see the kingdom of God come. Paul is living in a culture that he can't make right. He doesn't have a vote. And so our temptation is to go, man, if we could just vote, if we could just mobilize people... I think all of that is critical. It's really important. But here's the thing. I also think that we're thinking backwards. If that's the way that you think, if that's the temptation that you fall to, then then I want to say, I think you're thinking backwards. We don't make the culture right in order for the kingdom to come. We see the kingdom come in our lives, and that then changes the culture. 
So it, it is our responsibility, believe me. But, but we need to be so committed to the kingdom that the culture changes. Not so committed to changing the culture that we hope the kingdom comes. We exercise our right to live in an unjust world. And we, unlike the Roman Empire, we have more say than probably most in the world. But our commitment is first and foremost to the kingdom. And then we see the culture change as a result. Last thing. I exercise my right to bear witness to the work of Jesus. That's it. I exercise my right to bear witness to the work of Jesus. Um, our story does not change with our circumstances. So Paul, in chapter 22, was before a riotous crowd. And what did he say? This is what God has done for me. This is how he has moved in me. This is where he is sending me. This is the purpose that he has given me. That's chapter 22. Chapter 23, as he's um, speaking and, and, and uh, defending himself in, in the smaller context. You know what he does? He's saying, hey, this is who I am. This is who God has made me to be. This is what he has done for me in Jesus. So big riotous crowd before the, the gathering of the Jewish council. Same exact story. Chapter 24. Guess what? He's before Felix the governor, and what's he doing? At the end of 24 here, again, uh, chapter 24, verse 24, after some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish. He sent for Paul, heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. What's he doing? He's bearing testimony to what God has done for him over and over and over again. Just because his circumstances change does not mean that his story changes. That's, that's so important for us because some of your circumstances um, are in the middle of changing. Some of you, you're just on the other side of that and some of you see it coming. Just because your circumstances change though doesn't mean that your story changes. Why? Well, because the story that we're living in does not change. Uh, back in chapter 24, um, verse 14, but this I confess to you that according to the way, which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets. What's he saying? This is one story. It's one story that I've been telling. Um, Back to chapter 23, verse 11. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. What? What's Jesus doing there? He's saying, hey, you're going to testify about the facts. You're not just making stuff up. You're testifying about the facts, and you're going to do it in Rome, just like you've done it in Jerusalem, and you're going to do it in Caesarea and all the other places along the way. No matter your circumstances, no matter your locale, no matter your zip code, guess what? The story that we're telling does not change. We're telling the story of what Jesus has done, the facts, if you will, about him, this story that God's been telling all along and how he has been writing that story in our lives. We are bearing witness to the truth. And then secondly, um, just as a reminder, our story doesn't change with others' responses or desires. Again, in, at the end of chapter 24, uh, verse 25, as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. Some of you have had conversations like that where you're trying to help people understand the, the news of Jesus and they're like, hey, can we talk about this later? That's what, that's what Felix is doing. And at the same time, he hoped that some money would be given to him by Paul. He wanted to be bribed to let him out of jail. So 
Our story doesn't change based upon what their desires are or um, what their responses are. Our story doesn't change because it's, it's the story that God is writing in our heart. And we don't do any good to them uh, if we don't do much good at all to them if we give them what they want instead of what they need. And so we just, we exercise our right to bear witness to the work of Jesus. Now, what I'm not confident about is where this lands on you. I mean, we've covered two chapters today with a lot of this and that. Um, but, but my guess is, is that you can probably, in one of those four statements, you could probably find yourself. You could probably locate yourself and go, that's, that's exactly where I am right now. I, I know that I'm following Jesus and it's leading me somewhere where I'm not sure I want to go. Hey, I know that I'm experiencing the uh, injustice that is in this world or whatever it may be. Um, so, so however you come, this, this is what I would say to you. Like, God gave Paul grace to get through this situation. We're going to pick up chapters 25, 26 next week. Guess what? We're going to see Paul get through this. And guess what? I can promise you. He has the kind of grace that can get you through it too. Whatever your situation is, whatever your circumstances, he has the kind of grace that can get you through it too. And along the way, you'll have opportunities.